Let's pray. Lord, we do come. We come just as we are. Lord, we come, some of us, joyful and celebratory. Lord, some of us are coming in grief. Lord, some of us are coming in um, confusion. Lord, some of us are coming in great anticipation. Lord, we're coming from all different places in all different weeks. And we come to you who is unchanging and who sits on the throne high and lifted up. And we come to be fed. We come to hear your word. We come to respond this morning. And so lead us, King Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our um, call to worship from Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, Do not harden your heart as you did in Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me and they tried me, though they had seen what I had done. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never Enter my rest. These are the words of the Lord in greeting you this morning from Exodus 19. For you will be a kingdom of priests, a holy people. I invite you to um, greet one another. It's good to be back with you, church family. I want to thank you for the prayers that you prayed um, last week when... Anne came forward with Pastor Gina, and uh, the board came and surrounded the two of them and prayed for us. And I want to tell you that in response to your prayers, God moved very powerfully um, last week in Vancouver. It never ceases to amaze me. This is the sixth time that I've been a part of this Growing the Church in the Power of the Holy Spirit conference. And this time, like each other one, the Lord took a group of 40 people who didn't know each other, had no relationships, who came in dry, weary, who came not sure if they really um, were going to believe the teaching, a little skeptical. And over the course of three and a half days, again, it was like watching the Lord pour out rivers of refreshing upon his children, upon his servants. Just just in the Spirit, rivers of living water flowing from Jesus to this group of people so that by the time we left on Thursday, you have this group that are saturated, full. 
encouraged, built up, strengthened, and praising the Lord and ready and, and sent out to um, their communities that they came from, full of hope and of expectancy for how the Lord Jesus is going to move in their communities and in their midst as they pray, just like he's moving in ours. So I want to thank you for your prayers. Uh, they mattered, and God, God moved through them. I'm going to tell maybe a few more stories of some specific things that the Lord did there later, uh, but... Now, before we head into family prayer time, I want to dedicate the, the time to some of the pastoral needs that we have in our own congregation. And I um, want to begin just by um, sharing what I think many of you heard this week, that Vic, Vic's ex-wife, Valley Mitchell, who was with us last week Sunday, died two days later on Tuesday. And I'm going to invite Vic to come forward because he wants to share a little bit with us about something that the Lord did in and for him. Maybe I can get the handheld mic for you to use, Vic. We have the handheld? Yeah. Oh. Am I forgetting to um, bless our children to go to children's worship? Let's, let's send them and bless them on their way. Children, the Lord be with you as you go to... Love and learn about him in children's worship. And everybody, I don't know, is this on? Yeah, it's on. This is on? Yeah. I, yeah. A little deaf this morning. Uh, yeah, um, this occurred on uh, Tuesday morning. I was actually at uh, a VA uh, place to try to get some assistance. And I, when I got up in the when I got up when I got up in the morning, the Lord had was hovering, like hugging me and, and giving me memories of past things of how my wife was at a church and how I wasn't there for her. And things were like, I was very happy and comfortable about it. And then it was around 1045, I received a call in the morning that my wife had passed, my ex-wife. And then I understood why I had all the memories of what was what had flashed through me because she was trying to come back to Christ, I truly believe it, but the Lord was letting me know that he had her. I don't know how to explain it to any of It's uh, me and the Lord loves on me all the time. It's like petting a cat. But this was more of a, like a holding a baby. It's like he was literally holding me for something that was to come. And that's when I, when I got the news, I knew exactly what it was, what he was doing for me, and how he was going to guide me through all of this. And, and in doing so, uh, I, came, I came across 1 Corinthians Chapter 13, verses 4 through 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoice with the truth. It always protects. It always truth. It's always hope, always prevails. Love never fails, but when there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfection disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. When I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put... Child's, child's ways behind me. 
Now I see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then when we shall see face to face, now I know part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And she loved all of us in here. I mean, some of them that knew her. She always had a loving heart. And granted, she had her times, but I truly believe she loved the Lord. And I'd like to thank all of you for a lot of you have been praying for me. And I just want to thank all of you. And you're all in my heart. Thank you very much. So family, let's go to prayer. And for those of you who are visiting or maybe here for a first or second time, we all pray. We pray in our own words from our hearts as the Lord leads us. Okay? Just ask that you pray nice and loud so that everyone else can hear you. Father in heaven, we thank you that um, in your fatherly love, you went ahead of Vic. You knew the news that he was going to receive and you prepared him for it. You lavished him with comfort and love all morning. Lord, we thank you that you're such a good shepherd. And we pray for your continued outpouring of comfort and love upon him, upon his sons, Nick and Anthony. Through this church family, Lord, minister your comfort and your love. Lord, I thank you that you have... um, delivered Tommy from the kingdom of darkness into your kingdom of light. And I thank you, Jesus, that what you begin, that you bring to completion. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are the one who even put it on his heart this morning, not only to come here, but to say, help, Lord, help. I'm struggling. Things are dark. They're hard. And Lord, I'm turning to alcohol. Lord, thank you that when we call on you, that you give grace. And so I pray, Jesus, that much, much grace would flow from your throne, from your heart in heaven to Tommy right now. Pray that you surround our brother with holy angels. Pray that you help him and strengthen him daily to put down um, roots, deep roots in your word and in your love. Lord, we pray um, that you would help to change patterns. Lord, our old ways were to turn to things outside You for fixes and for, for um, looking for healing and help. But Lord, now that we belong to You, You promise that Your grace is enough for everything that we face. And so I pray for Tommy, but for also for every one of us, Lord, that You'd help us to turn to You in our time of need. He's not the only one here who's struggling. Lord, we pray that as we seek You, that the truth, Lord, the truth would rise to the surface brought by Your Holy Spirit. Your Word says that the truth sets us free. And we're just oh so aware of the many different complicated ways that the enemy of our souls seeks to sow lies and to bring despair, to bring hopelessness, to make us feel caught and stuck. But Lord, the truth, the truth sets us free. And the truth is that you love us with an unfailing love, that you've nailed our sins to that cross, that they are no more, that you've already said it is finished, and that our lives here are living into 
what you've already done for us, receiving your love and forgiveness, letting them be massaged into the fabrics of our heart and lives by your Holy Spirit. So Lord, I pray um, for the whole congregation, for everyone, um, that the truth will grow in us and we in the truth. I'd like to close our time of prayer by reading a scripture before we turn back to song. These are the words of Paul, the Christians in Ephesus. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as children through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. Lord, as we open Your Word, we pray um, the same thing that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Lord, we ask that I would not speak with wise or persuasive words, but that You would put on a demonstration or a display of your Spirit's power. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, speak to us through the living Word of God. Speak to our hearts and our lives. May your words find rich, rich soil in our heart. There's not a text on the PowerPoint because... I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. The Lord has been percolating um, a particular message based on one line of Scripture in my heart for the last six to eight weeks. And um, on the heels of the sermon that Pastor Gina preached last week, strong word about do not judge, um, it felt the time felt appropriate to preach this. And so the words are from Colossians. I'm going to read them in a moment. But I'm going to read before them the next text in the Gospel of Luke that we would be preaching. And I'm just going to let us hear it as background uh, to this sermon because it does tie in. So I won't be preaching on it. I'll be preaching from a line in Colossians. A little bit different. But let's hear Luke 6, verses 43 to 45. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And then if you would turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, please. And um, if someone gets a page number, would you please call that up? 1831. Thank you, Alex.
the words that the Lord has been um, having me meditate upon are, are in verse 5, but I'm going to read verses 1 to 4 for context. Paul is talking about living as those made alive in Christ. And he writes, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, because you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And it's these words in the first half of verse 5 that have been meditating on. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly or your sinful, or your unspiritual, those are all translations of the same word, earthly, sinful, unspiritual nature. The nature that you had, that you were born with, that was yours before you were given a new nature through Jesus Christ. Put to death whatever belongs to that nature, that earthly nature. Those words from Jesus in Luke 6 that are functioning as our backdrop about a tree and its fruit, when you first look at those words, it seems like Jesus is saying there's only two kinds of people. There's good people and evil people. And that's it. But as you thumb through the pages of the New Testament and as you look forward to what the disciples and the apostles begin to write as they work out what it means to follow Jesus and what God has done through him at the cross, you start to see this. James 3, 9-11. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing? My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh and salt water flow from the same spring? So you see the, the, the beginning to wrestle. Uh, is this person good or is this person evil? Is this group of people good or are they evil? Well, he's writing to the church. They're new in Christ. There's praise coming out and yet there's still cursing coming out. And so Paul's saying, hey, this doesn't make sense. Old and new together. Romans 7, Paul's writing to the church and he says, so I find, he's writing about himself, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, Evil is right there with me. And then we hear Paul tell the Corinthian Christians in in his second letter, chapter 5, he says, If anyone belongs to Jesus Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone, past tense, the new is here. And yet, just a few verses later, he tells them, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, 
perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. You hear that, that tension? Paul's saying we're new, we're new cre- creations. The old is gone, the new has come. And now, and now, since we have these promises, we need to purify ourselves. In Christians, there's a mix of oldness and newness. A new heart and indeed a whole new life given through faith in Jesus. And right alongside that new heart and that new life, Paul calls a new creation, there's the remnants of our old life, that old sinful nature. And so these words of Paul that we're going to concentrate on this morning, put to death, kill whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And the way in which I'd like to enter these words of Paul is to talk for a few minutes about cancer. And so I'm going to ask a series of questions. And I'd like only if you're comfortable, if you're not, don't worry, but only if you're comfortable, I'd like for you to raise your hand and keep it raised if you can say yes to the question that I'm asking. Okay? So first, who here has personally received a diagnosis of having some form of cancer? Okay, just keep your hands raised. Who here has had a family member receive a diagnosis of having cancer? Who? Who here has had a friend or a relative receive, keep your hands raised, a diagnosis of receiving cancer? And who here has personally known someone, anyone, who has received a diagnosis of cancer? Let's take a look around for a minute. Almost everyone's hand is raised. Cancer, cancer really seems to be one of the, the worst physical enemies of the human family. It's that dreaded C word, right? It's that diagnosis that we all fear receiving. And when we or someone that we love receives this diagnosis, it's like the very first questions that we ask are, well, what kind is it? What's the prognosis? Can you treat it? Can anything be done to get rid of it? I mean, we just, we're anxious and we ask and it's like we cling to the doctor's words about treatment. We willingly then submit ourselves to blood tests and so we let ourselves get poked and CT scans where we're in machines and, and we undergo radiation and we take pills and we submit to the surgeon's knife. We can hardly wait for our bodies to be rid of this foreign invader. That's our reaction to cancer. And so what if, I just want to ask the question, what if we treated sin in our lives as strongly as we respond to cancer? What if we treated sin like a foreign invader, something that's not natural, that if left untreated, will multiply and will grow up to choke out life and so therefore needs to be found out, it needs to be exposed, it needs to be brought into the light, it needs to be carved out, zapped out, choked out. Sadly, I believe our reaction to sin 
is actually a whole lot less concerned than is often our reaction to cancer. And so let's contrast these reactions for a moment. Let's pretend that we receive two parallel diagnoses. That on the one hand, we find out we've got a a type of cancer in our abdomen, which if treated immediately, is likely to be overcome. And that on the other hand, the Holy Spirit gives us a flash of insight, a diagnosis, a moment where the veil is taken off our eyes and we see that actually we've got a real struggle with anger or gossip or jealousy or lust or spiritual laziness or doubt or critical, judgmental spirit or fear or rebelliousness or unforgiveness or pride. What's our reaction when we see these things in ourselves? With the cancer, we want to know everything about it. We want to know what kind it is. We want to know how it can be eradicated. With sin, we'd rather not know absolutely everything necessary. And we're not so quick to search for treatment, for the way to get it out of us. With cancer, we gladly tell our family and our friends, I've received this diagnosis. I have this thing in my body, this tumor, these cells. Pray for me. Maybe we've got a care page and we send out updates to all those who love us. With sin, we're not so open. We're not asking for the same care. We're not making the diagnosis known. With cancer, we willingly allow medical tests and records to be shared with medical professionals. Anyone credible in order to get the best treatment possible. We'll search far and wide. We'll expose our bodies to anyone who holds out hope for healing. With sin, we're quite slow to seek spiritual treatments, to hunger for diagnosis and remedy. We'd rather our soul be exposed as little as possible. With cancer, we'll even go into debt to finance our treatment. We'll do anything to preserve our lives. Anything. With sin, there isn't quite the same hunger for immediate treatment, no matter the cost. Often when we see sin in ourselves, we subtly downplay it. Just, just kind of push it away or aside or down with some combination of, of, of maybe telling ourselves it's not that bad because... We've come so far and grown so much and it's not as bad as it used to be or as bad as so-and-so and it's not the worst kind of sin. So we do our best to not see it ourselves. We do our best to not allow others to see it. We position ourselves in the best possible light. We keep it hidden. With cancer... We do everything possible to have every dangerous, cancerous cell in us exposed, zapped, or carved out, treating it as alien and dangerous, and aiming to put it to death 
with sin. We do so much from keeping it uh, from being exposed. We downplay its seriousness, not often treating it as something that's alien and ultimately very dangerous. Not doing everything possible to put to death what remains of our earthly, unspiritual nature. And so here I'm going to propose to you three reasons why I believe we treat our sin different from cancer. The first, very simply, is that I, I believe we don't, often, we don't understand the nature of sin as a foreign invader. The creation account in Genesis 1 and 2 paints sin as something that isn't even at all a part of God's created order. It's not a part of being created in the image and the likeness of God. It's not even present in creation. And yet, because we're born into a human family that's steeped in sin, because we've never known lives apart from sin, it's always been intertwined and a part of our lives in some way, shape, form, or another, we've actually become kind of cozy with it. Like it's normal. Like it's a part of us. Not like it's a foreign invader. But it is. You know, when you think about cancer, we understand innately that we were created to live cancer-free lives. We understand that our bodies were not meant to have dangerous, cancerous, tumorous cells or growths in them. We understand that it's foreign. But can we imagine living a life fully free from sin and all its effects? Do we understand innately that life isn't supposed to have sin at all? That even in the same way that we were created to be absolutely healthy and free from cancer, we were created to live in full, close communion with God, always full and overflowing with His love, always radiant with His joy in us and through us, always constantly at peace, love, joy, peace, the fruit of His Spirit. You see, we treat it as something that's not a foreign invader. That's not unnatural. And yet it is. The second reason that I believe we treat sin differently than cancer is that we don't fully understand the seriousness, the gravity of sin. James 1.15 says, Then after desire has conceived, conception takes two parts, so there's a desire, and then there's the will that acts on it, When you bring the desire together with the will that acts on the desire, it conceives. You need those two elements. It's not evil to have the desire necessarily, but when the two come together and you act on evil desires, it conceives. And James says, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, see this picture of a baby growing up, conception baby, gives birth to what? Anybody know the answer? Death. Sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. On December 19th, 2002, my parents called me and they told me that on the day, the day before, December 18th, my grandfather went into his doctor, his family doctor, because he was not feeling well and he went in for, for tests and the doctor said, Hank, you need to have some blood tests. So he sent him for blood tests and he came back and he said, Hank, it's not good. Your body's full of cancer. Six days later, he died. Seven days was all it took. 
because cancer had filled his body. It had grown up. It had taken over. It had, come, it had gotten to the point where it, it was irreversible. It was too late. Sin works this way too. If it's not put to death, it begins growing up. It begins taking over areas of our hearts and lives until it's too late. And we're hardened, even an area, we're hardened and we're overtaken by whatever that pattern is. And it's producing death in our lives, in the lives of others. Whether that's pride leading to judgment and criticism, or unforgiveness leading to bitterness and hatred, or addiction leading to death, or fear leading to paralysis and inaction. Rebellion leading to refusal to obey God's Word or church leadership. Lust leading to relational chaos and breakdown. On and on. And Paul writes, Paul writes to the Galatians, don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. Don't be fooled. God cannot be mocked. He can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Sow sin, refuse to deal with sin, allow sin to grow up, and reap death. Let me say that again. Sow sin, refuse to deal with sin, allow sin to grow up, and reap death. Not at all what God desires for each of us, but a very real Possibility when we fail to realize the seriousness of everything that is outside of God's good and holy will. Sin like cancer, when it is full grown, leads to death. The third reason why I believe that we don't treat our sin like cancer is, I think, the largest. I think it's that we don't fully understand the fullness of the love and the grace of God. That we don't fully understand the cross of Jesus Christ. To the church in Galatia, Paul also writes, I have been crucified with Jesus Christ. I no longer live, but the life I live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. And to the church in Rome, he writes, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Baptized into Jesus Christ. Crucified. Dead with Jesus. No longer living. But Jesus living in me. This is strong language, isn't it? Baptized, crucified, dead. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about the way in which Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf. That He redeemed us from the curse of the law that we couldn't keep by becoming a curse for us. That our sin and our sinful nature was really nailed to the cross. The whole thing in full Our whole sinful nature was nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. And if our sin, all of it, 
and our sinful nature was really nailed to the cross with Jesus, then our sin no longer belongs to us. And it doesn't define us in any way. Which is exactly why Paul says, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. It's the radical, deep, wide love of God that empowers us to treat sin like cancer. To unashamedly have it exposed as a foreign invader that doesn't define us. And to seek to be rid of it. Because Christ and His love define our lives. Our value, our identity, how God the Father perceives us and how we perceive ourselves. We don't have to be ashamed to have our sin pointed out and rooted out. You know, when someone says to us, I've got cancer, I've got cancer, we don't point the finger at them and um, we don't judge them, we don't look at them differently because they've got cancer, we're not ashamed of them because we've got cancer, their cancer doesn't define who they are as a person, we don't judge them by their cancer, none of that. And so it ought to be the exact same with our sin. If we're in Christ, sin doesn't define us. And if we view each other through Christ, then someone's sin isn't the lens through which we look at them. You see, the love of God provides such security that we can readily confess whatever sin we see in ourselves. And so let's imagine together, friends, what would it look like to have a church culture here that was so thick with the love and the grace of God and that the work of Jesus Christ was held so high, the cross of Jesus Christ was held so high that each of us felt fully, readily comfortable to acknowledge our sin and pray for its removal. You know, we've been told over and over and over by guests, and I was told again this morning who come in, that this church is full of the love of God. And it is. But do we understand the finished work of Jesus Christ enough that this is also a place where the sin that's revealed to us is immediately, without shame, exposed? Brother, I just saw... I just saw that, um, you know, the Lord showed me that I've got a real critical spirit. I keep judging people. Pray. Brother, I just lied to somebody and I'm ashamed of it. Would you pray with me? Sister, I keep struggling with jealousy. Brother, sister, I've fallen into this sin or that. Without shame, I've got a tumor, got these cells, got this sin. You see that? You see, see, what's happening as I'm saying this is that the lie, the lie of Satan is being exposed. Okay? Because the lie is, you've got to be ashamed. People are going to think, they're going to think something about you. They're going to look at you differently. You should be mature enough. You shouldn't deal with this at your age. You've been a Christian for long enough. You've... All those lies. Right? All those lies. We don't have to be ashamed. 
We need to hate sin. We need to, be a, we need to have a, a reverent fear of it. But we don't need to be ashamed. Shame was nailed to the cross. Guilt, condemnation, gone. So I'm calling us now to not only lift that cross so high, to so magnify the work of God in this place, that without shame we do readily confess, but I'm calling us to confess. I'm calling us to carry on the work that Pastor Gina challenged us to do last week. To put to death our earthly nature. That God might be glorified in us. That the world might all the more see Jesus Christ in and through us. And that the joy of the Lord might fill our hearts. I'm going to ask Lindsay to lead us now in singing a song of response. Refiner's Fire. And um, let's make this a sung prayer. Lord, refine me. And if the Lord is calling out sin in your heart and you need to um, respond to that in some particular way, do it. Whether it's kneeling at the cross or kneeling where you are, praying in your seat, talking to someone, saying, there's something I need to confess, talk to me after the service. Scripture tells us not to take this meal in an unworthy manner. And that's been misunderstood at different times through church history. The unworthy manner that Scripture talks about was where there was sin involved within the congregation. There were judgments, there was hatred, there was division. The rich were taking the meal and not leaving any for the poor. That was the hypocrisy. That was the the caution to not take this meal in an unworthy manner. The worthy manner is to recognize that we do have sin and to be honest before the Lord and say we are sinners. And the Heidelberg Catechism says, who are to come to the Lord's table? Those who are displeased with themselves because of their sins, but who nevertheless trust that their sins are pardoned and that their continuing weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and to lead a better life. And so, brothers and sisters, if you've been convicted of your sin, and you say, yes, Lord, I have sinned, then absolutely this meal is for you because he meets us in this meal. He strengthens us in this meal. We're reminded of his grace. We're reminded that his blood washes away our sin. And so on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks to the Father and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and gave thanks. the blood of Christ, our new covenant in him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you meet us in this meal, that you strengthen us in this meal, and that you've given us this meal to remind us 
of the beautiful, loving grace that has been poured out to cover and wash away all of our sins. Lord, would you meet us at the table? Thank you in advance for what you'll do in each of us as we take this meal today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm going to invite our board members to come now to prepare to serve the meal. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you to come and um, partake of the meal together. We take it here. We just come by rows and come forward and um, receive the elements and then take them back to your seat and we'll hold it until we've all been served. And then we'll take the um, meal together. And if you're visiting and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I just invite you to reflect on some of the words that we've sung today and the message that's been given. Because certainly salvation, covering of your sins is available and we'd love to talk to you after the service. There is gluten-free, and so if you need that, there's a little tray of that as well here in the crackers. So family, eat, drink, remember and believe the body and the blood of Christ given for the complete forgiveness of all of your sins. Family, receive these words of blessing from Jude. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now, and forevermore. Amen. Family, go in peace to love and serve the Lord, but don't go yet. Stay for potluck.